Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Easy Conversations, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. In this week's episode, I sit down with Scott Mayer from Parents Mental Health Support. Scott has seven sons, and the birth of his seventh son was quite traumatic, to the point where Scott thought he was going to lose his wife. In this episode, Scott shares some of the work he's done to deal with that trauma, and trauma from earlier in his life of being a veteran. Scott also shares the work he's been doing in the parents' mental health support space, and how he communicates with his sons. I hope you can get a lot out of this episode, and if at the end you could leave a five-star review, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Scott, uh, thanks for joining the podcast today, and uh, you know I appreciate you taking the time, and super grateful for you to come on here and and share some of the work you're doing, and uh, specifically talking around parents' mental health. Uh, you know, it's it's a huge issue right now, as you can imagine, with the pandemic and, and some of the lockdowns. So, you know, I would super excited to hear your story and and some of the stuff you guys are doing. OK, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, my name's Scott Mayer, father of seven boys. My eldest is 18 and my youngest is two. And pretty much what I talk about and what, what I do is based on my experiences having them. Um, what happened, we had one, what you class as straightforward delivery. Mm-hmm. The other were complicated and three of them were particularly traumatic, but it was the last one um, two years ago. We had um, a, a planned cesarean section and so after the surgery, once my son was born, they realized he had problem with his lungs. He wasn't breathing very well by himself. And he was four weeks premature. So we, we knew they were going to have to monitor him, but it was slightly more severe than anybody anticipated. So he was rushed off to the neonatal unit. And I remember just in that moment, trying to think, should I stay with mom? Should I go with baby? You know, where do I go? What do I do? And I went to check on my wife and she, she seemed okay. No, she wasn't feeling fantastic. And um, so we waited till she was what I thought a little bit more stable. And I went to go and find out what was happening with my son. And I talk about this quite a lot. And I think it probably seems like I'm using it for drama factor, but you know, it's not. I went down to the neonatal unit. And when I got there, the, the staff that met me, um, I explained to them what had happened and I was looking to find out what happened to my son. And they said that they needed permission from mum before they could tell me what was happening. And I sort of remember standing there, almost shaking my head, thinking, you know, this is this is my son. What what other permission do you need? And so about sort of five, ten minutes went past and, and they came back and they started to fill me in on what had happened. And they took me in and my son was there in the incubator and I'd had six other children and I wasn't really ready for a neonatal unit. You know, I, I didn't think it would have the effect it did. You know, it was a very scary place to be. And mm-hmm. it felt very unnatural, the fact that I couldn't pick my son up, you know, I couldn't touch him and I didn't really understand what was going on. So once they'd filled me in and explained that he had, he had this difficulty with breathing, they had him on the machines and they were going to monitor him. I then decided that I'd go up and sort of fill my wife in on what had happened. and. My wife and I, so to take it back a little bit, 
we were 16 when we met. We met on our college induction day and we've been together sort of 22 years ever since. So this woman had had, this was her seventh baby. She gave me these seven babies. We'd known each other since we were kids. And I remember thinking, I've got to go and tell her what's wrong, you know, and I'm trying to think, do I tell her the full truth? You know, do I try and sugarcoat it? Mm -hmm. if, if I hide it, you know, she's going to know I'm lying. She knows me that well. And that's just going to make the situation worse. So I was trying to think, right, what do I tell her? And then when I got there, I realized that she wasn't feeling very well. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to the staff and they said, yeah, they, they'd noticed that you know, she wasn't very well. And over the next three days, I kept sort of raising the alarms that I was very concerned that she wasn't well. And it just they just didn't listen to me. You know, there's lots of different reasons. There's lots of different theories as to why that is. You know, a father in a maternity unit, you know, the, the voices are not really listened to. Or whatever the reason was, um, or maybe it was the way I was coming across. There's lots of different theories. But what happened is they didn't listen to me. And in the end, my wife got very unwell and she almost died. And it got to the stage where I actually said goodbye to her. Um, and I sort of told her to look after the boys. I apologised that I hadn't been able to keep her alive. And, and in that sort of moment, I broke. Emotionally, I just snapped. And mm -hmm. um, I've never really been able to articulate it any better than just the fact that I snapped. And I didn't really know what I was experiencing at first. Um, my wife recovered. My, my son came home and things went to that sort of happy place where everything should be okay and things were aiming to somewhat normality but i knew i wasn't you know i knew i wasn't the same i knew i knew i was struggling i didn't know what it was i just thought it was depression whatever it might be so going to the doctors and talking to the professionals and there really wasn't that much awareness that i now know what i was experiencing was trauma related mm -hmm. and it was birth and you can call it postnatal depression you can call it postpartum and dads you know whatever we call it it was related to that and i then went through therapy and did sort of about 10 sessions of therapy and it wasn't until sort of i went through that process that it was more sort of ptsd it was more trauma related than depression from what i'd witnessed and mm -hmm. the fact that wife was going to die and when you look at the world and society as it is and how we look at men and, and, and mental health and emotions and feelings you know, society would have you believe that what happened to me doesn't happen you know and that men don't feel these things and this doesn't happen to to fathers when they witness it and there wasn't any real awareness or any information for me to sort of figure out what was going on so because it was just deemed as depression and you get antidepressants i wasn't really feeling better because i wasn't dealing with the root of the problem mm -hmm. you know just kept thinking would give antidepressants and, and everything would be okay and it wasn't and then about a year ago mark williams who you mentioned that you spoke to before i, I heard him doing a speech um, and he was talking about his story and his experiences and i just it was that light bulb moment where i thought oh my god that's what happened to me yeah that's the story all these things this man's describing so then i was able to go to my healthcare professionals and say look this is what I think I'm experiencing. And, and then you start to be able to, to deal with it once you know what it is. And mm -hmm. when, when you sort of point it out and say that when it comes to childbirth, becoming a new parent, everybody experiences a change in their mental health. You know, that those hormones 
those emotions, you know, it, it, it does cause an imbalance and it's not always severe, but I believe it happens to every new parent. And especially if you add traumatic deliveries or traumatic or anxiety antenatal, you add all of this stuff, it has to sort of come out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And what not happens is that particularly with fathers from the limited research I've done, the lots of research that I've, re- I've read, is that it manifests and comes out much further down the road. So by the time it, it comes out further down the road, it's just, again, it's anxiety, it's depression, it's under that big umbrella and they don't link it back to a traumatic delivery or, God forbid, baby loss, or even mm-hmm. just depression in the perinatal period. They don't ever link it back. So this problem's never properly dealt with. So. When I spoke to Mark Williams and I understood a little bit more about what I went through, I decided that I wanted to try and create platforms where we could address this, we could talk about it, and we could sort of give fathers a voice a little bit. And I worked for a few charities in the UK. Mm-hmm. I started talking to other dads and like in mass, lots of different dads, different focus groups, Zoom chats, all this stuff. I realized very, very quickly that what happened to to me and my experiences of sort of being ignored and not engaged with when baby was born, not involved in the antenatal process, nobody really wanting to know my opinion on baby's development and everything that I experienced, plus the traumatic deliveries and the fact that when these things go wrong in maternity units, that the professionals don't really fill dads and partners in. They don't really explain. So you just witness all of this happen and you've got no control and it's a very powerless place to be and, and that can have a massive impact. So mm-hmm. we have to sort of start to, to change this. I've got seven boys. I'm not naive enough to believe that I'm deaf. I'm going to have seven dads, mm-hmm. you know, but I have some parents and I thought that w- what the services that they have have to be better than what we experienced. Right. So we've got to and do things. And, and like I said, the more I spoke to more dads, I found that my case wasn't unique mm-hmm. and it's not very nice to get that oh, I'm not alone. It wasn't just me. I mean, there is a lot of comfort in that, as, as bad as that sounds. Probably comfort's the wrong word, but it does help to know that you're not alone. But it also made me very sad to think, why, why are we here? You know, why in this day and age can we not understand that fathers and, and partners and men in general have these feelings, have these emotions? I mean, the role of a man and the role of a father over the last 20 years have evolved massively. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a very shift in terms of stay-at-home dads, more involved dads, you know, single dads, you know, two dads, two moms. I mean, the, the family dynamics have changed. Absolutely, yeah. That we've got. Mm-hmm. So hasn't kept up. So what it does is it, it sort of punishes, particularly men as a stereotype, it punishes us for what they think we should be. And I think and, until we start to change how men and how fathers are viewed, it'll be difficult to move it forward and the only way we can really do it and it's things i think we're further ahead mm-hmm. in here than we are definitely america in terms of how we see paternal mental health and the fact that it is starting to be talked about more in fathers but it's when you sit there and, and, and you, you look at it and you look at all the signs and symptoms for postnatal depression in moms if you looked at that list there's nothing on there that fathers can't experience mm-hmm you know, the bonding and attachment issues, you know, that, that can cause problems on its own. Yeah. You know, the balance. So, so everything that we look at, I, one day, and I reckon in the UK, probably 10 years down the line, 
they're going to turn around and they're going to say, why didn't we do something about this? Why didn't we take this serious? And when you look that in the UK, the number one killer for men under 50 is suicide. So more men in the UK under 50 take their own life than they die to any form of cancer or disease or work-related accidents. You know, so we know there's a big problem. Mm-hmm. And we can link it back to lots of different things in life from adverse experiences to childhood, but there is going to be a percentage of that that are dads, you know, that have experienced these things. And like we talked about a minute ago, or like I said, sorry, it manifests further down the road, you know, and we, yeah. we don't have to see how bad it is, but when suicide is number one killing, you know, you've got a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, um, along those lines, how you said where it manifests like down the road, I think that's with any form of PTSD. If, if you're not, actively dealing with it or talking about it it shows up in different ways and whether it's through a traumatic uh, experience of the birth of your child or something else you've experienced that's been traumatic in your life um, it does show up in different ways later down the road and and I think having these conversations is equally important as you've highlighted and um, I think you know you mentioned that society has been punishing men because of the role we had, you know, several generations ago. And as we've evolved, society hasn't caught up. But I think at the same time, it is our responsibility as men to be having these conversations and pushing back um, on the rules and, and, you know, having these, uh, like having the awareness of some of the struggles we also as men face, uh, whether it's through becoming fathers or, or just, existing in society in general around some of the stigmas we have around how men should uh, perceive situations, how they should feel things, how they should express themselves. All of that, I think, needs to change because of the way our roles have evolved in society. No, you're right. Absolutely. 100% agree with everything you've just said. Yeah. And I do we have a responsibility. I mean, what, what I hear a lot, and I have this conversation with quite a few people that I'm close to that I talk about things that we always hear that men won't talk and they won't talk about emotions and, and they won't have these discussions. We're proving it right now. If you give them the platform, you know, and, and, and if they're allowed the, the space to talk, you know, men do talk, you know, and they do share. And but I do think that it's we are partly to blame. You know, we, we do. I mean, I, I talk about my experiences quite openly now. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, for, for a long time. And that's why I try and talk about the, the promotion of talking and sort of peer to peer and this sort of stuff, because I didn't do it for such a long time. I, I know that it's, hindsight is wonderful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, but what I know now, I think I, I wish I'd spoke sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, when when things got at their worst two years ago, and it wasn't like I said, till I went through therapy, I realized these problems have been there for years. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, in this moment, two years ago, that, that was sort of the straw that brought the camels back. That was the final straw. You know, that was, it was things that had happened in my previous life. You know, I'm, I'm ex army, you know, so I'm a former military. So there's lots of different things that have had these triggers. And that was just the one that, so when I started to understand the, the domino effect, of mental health i was able to piece back you know i had antenatal anxiety mm-hmm. 
after a previous trauma, you know, terrified it was going to happen again, you know, that got to the stage I couldn't enjoy that pregnancy mm-hmm. because I was worried the whole time. But you don't really sort of see that at the time. I, I actually spoke to my GP about it once and they said that oh, it's just because of the pregnancy and they could see that I was anxious but didn't see it as anxiety. So just sort of really didn't do very much about it at all. And when I sort of sit there and look back and I think, you know, we have to have these conversations, but the professionals have to be able to receive it. And I think that's where there's a, like a lot of education to get done. And I think more men would have these conversations if they felt not sort of judged or, or that there was places to talk. They're just, they're not really there. And I think particularly in America, I've been really surprised. I've spoke, done a few podcasts and spoke to a few people that I thought that the, the quality of sort of perinatal mental health care in the UK was bad, but I mean, there really isn't anything. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's, yeah, it's very similar in Canada as well. Um, You know, like talking to folks like yourself in the UK, uh, you know, I've been talking to quite a few people in the UK and it appears that, you know, there's a lot of focus even from the government side and, you know, the politicians are talking about uh, mental health awareness quite a bit over there, but here we don't have that same level of uh, awareness or, or conversations. I mean, People talk about mental health, but then when it comes to like doing something or putting actions in place or spending the money, um, that's not happening, unfortunately. And, you know, uh, especially right now with with the pandemic and when the world returns to a state of normalcy, um, we're going to see more issues because, you know, right now we're kind of like in lockdown, but people are going to be anxious when they have to return uh, to normal life, being out again, going to work, seeing people. Um, so unfortunately right now I'm not seeing any proactive measures or actions that can, um, you know, mitigate some of those issues that may come up. And, and those are things we, we should have foresight on. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate. And I guess in your case, you know, you mentioned like past, trauma potentially that was probably building up and and you know until the birth of your last son but I think for for you also like you've got six other boys that you were being a father to right and that brings its own uh challenges um and and you know we don't appreciate that because you also have to be tending to these other children uh you know while you're dealing with the birth of a new one and, and we don't talk about that. There's no support around that either um, for parents. That's a really good point, actually. Um, and yeah, I, I think you probably put it better than I could. I never really put it that way in terms of the, you don't want to say the added stress, you know, but there, you, yeah. you, you wear a lot of different hats. Yes. And this is, you know, I speak to quite a few dads is just, trying to get that balance you know and, and I keep saying it, you're not going to get that balance all the time mm-hmm. you know you you are going to get it wrong and we talk about sort of perfect parents you know they don't exist mm-hmm. you know they, they're just not out there we all struggle you know it's, it's a very difficult it's a very difficult job probably the hardest job you're ever going to have mm-hmm. and it um, with a lot of added pressures and this is one of the other things that I talk about when it like if my children go through a bad experience or they're not well or they have an illness or whatever might happen the fact that 
dads and partners and, and can, can find that difficult. You know, especially my youngest, with him having problems with his lungs and being on the neonatal unit, when COVID um, first really became a thing and we were talking about the effects on people's lungs, you know, I'm absolutely terrified. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to think, oh, what's going to happen? You know, what's going to happen if this happens to him? What if he gets this? What's it going to do to him then? But then that's not just because of COVID-19. I mean, if, if he gets a, a bad chest or a bad cold or something, you know, every time I, I overanalyze it and, and I can feel myself sort of spinning out and it gets quite overwhelming until he starts to feel better. And then you sort of release a little bit. And obviously it's the same with my other children, but because of what he went through, it sort of heightens it. But there's, there's nowhere to really talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the sort of thing. That, I mean, like I said, I'm an army lad. It's not really the sort of thing that you talk to your friends about as such, you know, your emotions and your feelings. And you've still got a lot of people that you'll meet this resistance of what, what you complained about. You didn't give birth. You didn't have the baby. You know, mm-hmm. how, how can you against this? You know, and there is a lot of that out there. I think it's definitely worse. Obviously, Canada and America, without a doubt. Um, we still get resistance here in the UK, but I think we're probably a few years ahead. Mm-hmm. We started investing money in it here. And it's like, we've got a new um, long-term plan with the NHS. Sorry. Um, and in that long-term plan now, under perinatal mental health, it says that if, if the, the mother goes through what we have a perinatal mental health team of professionals that will help with postnatal depression and psychosis. So if, if mom goes through that team, then dad will be screened mm-hmm. for his mental in the UK. So that's in part of their new long-term plan for the NHS. So it's not brilliant, but it's definitely a start because one of the statistics that I talk about quite a lot um, is that if one partner has postnatal depression, it's up to 50 times more likely that the other partner will experience it supporting them. So by, by bringing this screening in, it's to sort of help the dad that's supporting the mum so we can start to see if his mental health is being affected. Mm-hmm. So it's a very start, but like I said, we, we've been putting money into perinatal mental health for quite a while now. So, I mean, it's, we're definitely a good few years ahead of anything that's going to happen, if anything happens at all. Yeah. Um, Stateside or, or in Canada, but it is it is progress. Ideally, we will want all parents, and I think this should be everywhere across the world. All parents should be screened for mental health antenatally, and I think that that screening should start from what, what we call in the in the UK sort of booking appointment. So mm-hmm. your first appointment, all. So when you go there and you get your hospital notes and stuff, from that point, mental health should start to be, and it shouldn't be, let's talk about mental health. You know, they, they should be educated to just to drip feed it, you know, to pay attention. Because like you said about the, the other stresses, now that I'm sort of in this world and, and I've met different people, I started to take sort of mindfulness seriously. You know, and in, in the past, you know, that, that was sort of hippie stuff. And I, I'd laugh at that, you know, you, you, meditation and yoga and breathing techniques, you know. It's, it, I cringe at my former self, but that was how I used to think. And now that I look at it and I, like journaling, you know, when, when I was, my, when my mental health was at its worst, um, I started to just journal, just write some things down, write down how I felt. And then as I started to feel a little bit stronger, I would like write letters to my future self, sort of two weeks at a time. Yeah. 
and we're not talking big long letters, you know, it may just be a couple of paragraphs, but what, what it started to do is that I would see that I was in a better place than I was when I wrote it. And obviously sometimes you're not, sometimes you're in a worse place. But when I sort of looked at it every couple of months and I looked at these letters and I thought, right, I'm better than I was. You know, things are moving forward. And I sort of, I, I kept doing that. So I kept more journaling and then I started breathing techniques. I looked into sort of meditation. Um, I would, everyone says how good yoga is. Um, never really got to yoga, but I, I did introduce things and I thought this helps, you know, and, and like I said, we've, we've, you pointed out, you know, the seven boys, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pressures. There's times where it just gets overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And we sort of talk about self-care. People think it's this big indulgence, you know, but just sort of a couple of minutes of, of breathing techniques or a few minutes in a dark room. Or, or what I find helps quite a lot is I have different songs depending on what, what I need. And I'll just go and listen to that song for a few minutes and it's going to calm me down or it's going to pick me up. It doesn't always work, mm-hmm. you know, but you just try these, these little things and it just sort of helps hit reset. Whereas in the past, I was very guilty of being absolutely okay and then just, boom, like, can't cope with this anymore. That's enough, stop. You know, I need to go out for a walk or go for a drive. Or, and it would, now that by introducing these little small little snippets of things you just stop it obviously not all the time there's still days and this is something that I always try and say to people that my darkest days were very dark and mm-hmm. um, I, I don't normally go deep into detail I understood suicide and that was enough for me you know I didn't make a plan I never went that far but I understood how you could get there and I thought well, this is when I thought god I really need help you know this is my rock bottom I need to do something I need to move it forward and when you get when it's that bad, when you break bad, I think you never really get over it. It's always there, in my opinion. Um, you just learn to manage it, and the the dark clouds or the storms, whatever you call them, they just become less often. But I think it's always something that's there, and not everybody will agree with that. That's just my opinion. And when when you break, I suppose, I, I got to put myself back together. And, and what I did is I put myself together how I wanted to be. Because mm-hmm. I spent most of my life being what I thought everybody else thought I should. You know, I, I tried to parent the way that I thought a man that was a soldier should parent, you know, and, and that wasn't me. So I was almost, what I wore different masks, is probably the best way to put it. So what the world seen wasn't the same as what was in my house. And that was bloody exhausting. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to keep up with that all the time. So I sort of made a bit of a vow that I, I won't do that anymore. You know, I'll try and be what I want to be. And, and sometimes you have to cut toxic things out of your life, you know, or even toxic relationships that don't do you any good. You've got to make that decision. And I think once you've been really hurt, you'd see things a bit differently. And I think it's easier to see perspective. And I get angry at myself thinking why didn't I see it I don't think it works like that no no and I think uh we need to have that um I guess grace for ourselves, knowing that you know at that time we just didn't have that information or we just weren't ready to uh have that awareness and and awareness comes with time and sometimes you need to hit rock bottom to really you know take ownership and accountability to to do better that's true. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, hindsight's 2020. It's easy to look back and be like, oh, what was I thinking and question your choices. But, you know, in the moment you were doing the best you could or, or you were doing whatever you needed to do at, at that time. And now that you know better, you do better. And that's kind of how I look at life. Um, but I do ag agree that we, we tend to put that pressure on ourselves of um, living someone else's idea of a life, you know, and, and that with that comes, you know, like I said, additional stresses and, and often you catch yourself uh, living up to someone else's expectations and that's not good either. Uh, so when you talk about some of the, like the dark clouds, and I, I know you mentioned that they're always there and I, I kind of agree with that. I think, you know, if, if you're struggling, those dark moments or thoughts are always there. And sometimes when you get triggered, they're more prominent. And that's when you get certain thoughts, right? And, and whether you can call it suicidal thoughts or just depressive thoughts, um, until you don't actually face them and do something about it, they will always be there, like you said. Do you, mind, do you mind sharing some of that if uh, that's okay? Yeah, I'll share. Yeah, I'll share any of it. I'm, I'm quite open. Um, in, in, in terms of what, how it felt? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, the only way I was ever really to, in the beginning, when I first started, call it a spiral. Um, when I went on, the, on, on a bit of a spiral down and, I knew I was changing. And the only way that I've been able to describe it, it was a bit like being outside a window. And you're trying to shout to the person, but they can't hear you, you know? And, and, and it was a bit like trying to shout to myself. And I used to do it all the time. I could feel myself getting very angry or very sad, like really quickly. And I could, I could tell it was changing, but I couldn't stop it. And some people say that they couldn't see it. You know, I, I could. I just couldn't do anything about it. And what I sort of realized is as it got worse and I got to this stage where you just don't feel anything, mm -hmm. you're not, you're not sad. You're just nothing. It's almost numbness. Um, and all the things that would normally fill me full of joy, you know, my, my wife, my children, whatever it might be, it was just, just nothing there. And when I sort of try and talk to other parents and, and, one thing that sometimes people get a little bit upset about is that I say if if we support both parents mental health from the antenatal period and in the beginning and we support them properly it's got a better outcome for the child and that's not a criticism of anybody's parenting that's just when you're in that moment you're just surviving mm -hmm. and you don't have all of yourself to give and I say that because I know you know that I was here, I was I, I was with my children, but I wasn't really, really there, you know, because some days I was literally just trying to hang on. And it was these sort of negativity, you know, and and, and I've had lots of different theories and so I've spoken to counselors about where it comes from, but it's just this inner critic mm -hmm. that, that tells you enough, you know, that tells you and you can trace it back to, to childhood, whatever it might be, but there's always this voice. And, and like you said, when, when you're struggling, when you're in your darkest, that voice is very loud. Mm -hmm. What I sort of, what I found myself is 
I left I left the military because I was injured um, and I, I struggled to make that leap from soldier to civilian. I just, you know, I've, I've got a few things that I think why, but it's just to do with the programming of the mind and you go from one to the other very quickly and I just couldn't. So sort of depression and mood had been there for a while um, and it just became easier to link it to that than it was to link it to anything else that had happened during childbirth. So for such a long time, I'd had these, I don't know, um, episodes, you know, changing mood, depressive, a little bit angry, sad, emotional, distant. And it had gone on and it, it, it sort of came in spikes and it came in. And, and when I look at it now, they all came in and around the pregnancies and the births after the traumatic deliveries. So it just kept increasing it. So I kept thinking, why do I feel this numb or angry or anxious or sad when this is supposed to be the best time of my life? This is supposed to be the best happens and I can't get with a program. And then that voice gets louder and it tells you, you're definitely no good. You're a terrible dad because you can't even get excited about the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I'm obviously not realizing it was because I was worried the trauma was going to happen again. And you're almost sort of trying to protect your mind a little bit thinking I can't go through this again you know because last time it was bad and, and each time it gets worse but what I what I found out is once once I started to recover I, I don't like the word recover because like I said I don't think you, you ever fully do but the recovery journey or the recovery path once I got onto it and I thought like you said I, I kept waiting I had to take self-ownership of where I was and yes, I had injuries and I had, I was treated for chronic pain, which I still am. Mm -hmm. And I allowed, I allowed these negative things to control who I was. And what I often say to people is that the brain will believe what you tell it, you know, and for a very long time, I told myself I was no good because I wasn't the man that I was. I wasn't this soldier. So because I wasn't this soldier, I was automatically nothing. Mm -hmm. And years I sort of I bought into it I believed it and I kept waiting for somebody to fix me you know this magic wand of I can make you feel better and like I said I tried different counseling I tried therapy I had multiple surgeries to try and fix me physically and I just kept and then it was literally 18 months ago um I sort of sat there and thought the only person that gets me out of this is me mm -hmm. you know and and, and it's it's quite an enlightening day, that day where you realize, all right, I've got to do all the work, but at least it's in my hands. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell you what part of the process I was at, but I just know that I'd had a few days where I didn't feel as bad as I had. And I thought, okay, you know, so I started to introduce just things to keep me busy, whether it was like building, building something or writing something or just things to keep the mind busy. Mm -hmm. And every, I'd, I'd try and do something positive or something with my children. Or when I started to introduce the mindfulness, just things to break this cycle so that I, I didn't see it, everything as negative. I started to be able to see the positive in some things, you know, because for such a long time, I just seen the negativity in everything. Um, and people that are close to me in relationships, you know, for years they told me, you know, very negative, very negative. And that probably that wasn't always me you know I, I i'd become very negative and i'd programmed myself to be negative 
And then when you start to reverse it, and I see that what made me bad is the same that can make me better. You know, I've just got to tell it different information. Mm-hmm. And obviously some days I still get it wrong. You know, I still have bad days. Um, and I, I've, I've never really been able to describe it any better. So you can edit this out if you want, if it's maybe triggering. But the only way that I've been able to describe this sort of dark cloud is it's like a stalker. It's always there waiting until you let your guard down. Mm-hmm. Until the moment of self-doubt, until that trauma, until that bad day where you think, oh, God, and then pounces turns your world upside down disappears again and it's hard to keep that guard up all the time you know so this is what i mean where i still think that the the bad days for me will come i think the difference is most of the time you can maybe see them coming yeah you start to feel the strain you know i, I know i do i mean at, at the moment with i'm doing a lot of things on on social media and i am quite busy and and, and what I've realized is that I can start to see that it's getting a bit much. It's getting a bit overwhelming because what I talk about most of the time is some of the worst days of my life. And it's, you know, you repeat that. So you sort of relive it. So you're almost self-inflicting some of your pain because you're not burying it. But when I first started talking about my story and my experiences, especially with like my wife nearly dying, um, it was through my maternity hospital. They asked me to sort of feedback as a father because not many do um, and they wanted just to see a different side so i had to write this sort of story about six times mm-hmm. because the first time i wrote it i got really angry the second time i wrote it i got really sad and then i got really bitter and then i started to get a mixture of all of it and if they listened to me this wouldn't have happened you know this would it wouldn't have had to get that bad and like my wife wasn't well for, for quite a while after that. And I got really angry and then I managed to do it. And I thought, you know, that feels all right. And then I did it again. And, and I thought by talking about it, it, it did help ease it. It became easier to share. And the more that I do it now, but then like I said, there is still some days where I think like, that's enough, you know, or somebody might ask me a question about something to do with mental health. And I, I, I just, can't process anything else to do but that's it i'm done the shop shut yeah and it's realizing that whereas i think sometimes you don't so you, if you listen to your and it makes me sound like a hippie again but if you listen to your inner self you know more often than not it knows what you should do and it, and it will sort of warn you when things get too much but that inner self like we've just talked about can be very negative sometimes you know so double-edged sword i suppose yeah, yeah. And I think you've touched on many important things. And I, I guess I want to kind of summarize them in a way. But, you know, I, I think the the most important thing is being able to talk about it, like you've been doing and, and like you've highlighted. And by doing that, you're almost you're, you're getting rid of the stigma that you yourself create. And by not talking about it, you're hiding from the truth. So by talking about it, you're normalizing it. You're saying, you know what? Yeah, this happened and it wasn't great, but it is my responsibility to deal with it. And, and like you said, when you have that cloud over you, like the negativity cloud follows you around all the time. And the goal is really to be mindful of it um, and change your thought patterns, like you said, you know, uh, and, you know, that's stuff I've had to do too is, 
changing that negativity negativity thought pattern when one little incident happens and how it triggers like a massive you know overwhelming uh like you get these thoughts that where it's like oh you're not good enough see here's another example and it's becoming mindful of that and changing your thought pattern um and the goal for me is to reduce the frequency of that negativity or the negative thoughts coming in so instead of once a week try to target once a month and ultimately get it to the point where you yourself are able to manage it even when it happens and i think that's some of the stuff you've talked about um and, and i guess even your experience of coming from the army of being a soldier i think for you it was losing your identity you know you were attached <laughs> to this identity of being uh the stereotypical man and losing that identity and losing it not by choice you know it happened to you and you had no choice or no say in that matter and i think that's probably where that anger was coming from because you didn't really get to have a your voice or your opinion on it no do you know what yeah i would agree with that i am um, i think it took me a long time to see that 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 was it was it was this i'd lost i lost what i thought i was mm -hmm. No, and, and didn't really realize that that was just part of who I was. You know, I was still, I was still the same person. You know, I just maybe did a different thing now. And it's easy to say that now. Yeah. You know, for a lot, you, you do, you, I did, I, I, when I went through, I think it was the first time I went through counseling and they said it, it was a bit like a, a breakup or a mm -hmm. divorce for it. You know, more often than not, there's one person that wants that divorce and one that doesn't. Mm -hmm. One that doesn't, that was me. You know, I was getting divorced from this situation and I didn't want it. So I pined for it and I wanted it. And it was, it was because it wasn't my choice. Mm -hmm. And if, when you see it that way, it's, it's very obvious, you know, but at the time you, you, you don't necessarily see it, but that's exactly because it wasn't my choice. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, like I said, I think the goal is to become aware of it and, and you're right. Like, you know, it's hard when you're you're so caught up in it and you know we all kind of have our own journey and and even myself there's been times where i've struggled and i just couldn't figure it out and you know i have high expectations of myself but i just couldn't figure it out and then you look back and you're like this was so obvious why did it take me so long but that's part of the healing journey is you need to to experience it so you can come out and and then once you come out of it having that compassion for yourself because you know you needed to experience it to a certain extent to be able to appreciate everything else after the fact um so i think that's you know a lot of the stuff you've talked about around even mindfulness and i think it's amazing because you know when we talk about as men we want to change the way men are perceived in society and part of it is our responsibility and another responsibility for us is to teach our children differently right so for you know i've got one son you've got seven but being by role modeling these behaviors we're talking about whether it's mindfulness or just having that awareness or just 
feeling confident or comfortable enough to talk about our struggles, we're role modeling that behavior for our children. So then when they get into the real world, they have the tools that weren't given to us. And that's how I think we can change some of the stuff society's dictated and push back. No, that I, I agree with you. You know, and to be fair, I, I didn't, I now, I, I, I don't claim to be father of the year and I don't claim to be fantastic, but I do believe I'm the best I can be. And that's enough, mm-hmm. you know, in a long time. But for years I did look for perfection and I thought perfection looked like strength. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so not showing the fact that these weaknesses and these struggles are there and, and not letting my children see my flaws. By that, I was setting the right example. And, and yet again, you know, sometimes you have to go there to come back. Yeah. You know, and because I went through, I see things very differently now. And because of what I went through, I don't want my children to ever go through that. So we have those conversations early, you know. And I think, like you've just said, and this is something that I firmly believe, that I'm teaching them the best lessons that I can by showing them life's not easy. You know, life's not hard. And it is a little bit rocky balboa, but you know, nothing will hit as hard as life. It won't. Mm-hmm. And it is literally not the getting knocked down. It's it's the characters in how you get up mm-hmm. and let see that, you know, that, yeah, I, I make mistakes and I have to put this mindfulness in place just to, so that I can be the best I can for you, you know, so that I'm always there to, to be able to be open up, but also have the conversations with our children that, you know, I have two rules for my children in terms of what they do when they grow up and, and happiness and kind that's it mm-hmm. you know whether they want to be a doctor or a painter or whatever it might be as long as they can come back to my eyes and say dad i'm happy you know and they're a nice person everything else is fine so we have these conversations so a lot of the expectations are not i wouldn't say they're not there because obviously you still want your children to achieve and they want to achieve but one of the conversations, I'm a big fan of education, so what I might say here might sound like I'm not, but we have a focus, and I think it's around the world, but I can only really talk about the UK. We have a focus on creating good students, and sometimes we miss creating good humans. Mm-hmm. The human part is far more important, and I always tell my children, you never learn, you never finish learning. Education never stops, because life is education, and you can always re-educate yourself at any point in that life so you can resit exams you know you can resit entry exams and mm-hmm. they're not the end of the world you can't resit your childhood no you know so by giving them the tools to even help them now you know my children have been through things at school and as most kids have had upset they've been picked on or whatever it might be and giving them the tools to acknowledge the fact that it's okay to feel upset it's okay to feel sad because when we don't talk about it, what we teach them is that you should be ashamed of it mm-hmm. and that you shouldn't talk about it. So we are punishing them by not having that conversation and then punishing them by the fact that they think they have to hold on to this. Um, and, and that's not a big criticism of, of anybody in particular. And I don't claim that my parenting skills are better than anybody else's, but mm-hmm. I've seen the relationship that I have with my children and it's better than it was you know, by doing it this way, you know, by letting them see the vulnerability, by having these conversations. And, you know, sometimes when they they act up or if they get upset or if they get angry or they misbehave maybe. And yet again, 
I don't claim to get it all right, but rather than punishing that outburst and saying, go to your room or you're not playing your Xbox or give me your iPad, because that's sort of telling them that these emotions and feelings are wrong and no emotions and feelings are wrong. They might be ill-placed, but they're not wrong to have. Mm -hmm. So you can, I try and educate it a little bit or try and introduce a little bit of, right, you go and stand in the garden in the rain for two minutes and let yourself sort of calm down and ground yourself. You go into the bedroom and put your music on and then we'll talk to you when you've calmed down. And I try and introduce the same so that when my children do something, I don't turn around and say, right, you're grounded till you're 65, you know, mm -hmm. because when you, you are always over punish. And then you've got to go and have that conversation and say, right, you're not obviously not grounded for 65 years. Um, and so I try and, but I get it wrong. You know, sometimes yeah. I'll snap and finish them and I'll ground them and then I think, oh, I should have done that. And then you feel that parent guilt because you've snapped at your child because you were trying to do something else or you're trying to do a hundred things. And it's perfectly natural. But if we don't sort of communicate and address it, you know, it becomes more of a problem. You know, if our children can snap at us and then apologize and, and there's no real punishment and we can snap at them and then say that I'm really sorry, I'm busy, I'm, I'm on a deadline or I'm trying to do this. You know, there, that relationship in my experience is better, you know, by having these conversations that we are flawed, we do make mistakes, we all have to work on it. And, and mental health is just as important as physical health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's, uh, important thing you've touched on and I've mentioned it in another podcast too is uh, just having that vulnerability as parents that and not creating this hierarchy treating them as individuals as we want to be treated and and showing them that it's okay to make mistakes and you know either side whether you're a child or your parent it's you're going to make mistakes and having that freedom of making a mistake seeking forgiveness and and promising that you'll do better next time. Um, and that's something I model with my son as well. And I think by, like you said, by punishing them for their emotions or their outbursts, the message we're sending them that is that it's not okay. And then that's the message they grow up with. And then they hide certain emotions because they know if they, if it comes out a certain way, they're going to get punished or, or people are just going to think it's, it's not healthy. So I think that's very important that you've touched on. And um, yeah, no, I, I, I think this has been great, Scott. Uh, thanks for sharing your story. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it, it, by having these conversations, this is how we can improve some of the, the stigma that we've created and, and um, making it, normal to have these conversations i think it's important that we share our stories um so so again i want to commend you for that and i guess for for listeners that i know you've touched on it a little bit but that want to get a hold of you or, or find you on social media what's the best way to do that yeah on instagram i'm pmh support and on twitter i'm scott mayor Knight. that's probably the two fastest ways okay and I guess for, again, around the whole aspect of, and PMH is parents' mental health, uh, for folks that, you know, are struggling, whether they have newborns or just struggling in general, 
you know, it's not easy being a parent, right? It, like you said, it's, it's one of the hardest things you probably have to do in your life. Um, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. What are some things you can share or final message that you would have for whether moms or dads that, you know, are sometimes feeling like it's too much or overwhelmed? Yeah, I'll give a few little tips. Um, one I always say is, you know, <laughs> parenting is the hardest job, you know, but it's the only job in the world where you're put in charge on the first day with no experience. Yeah. You know, you've got to figure it all out. So sometimes we're very critical of ourselves for, for not being able to do it like other people. And you will become your best parent at the right amount of time. It doesn't always happen overnight, you know, and, and it's something that I talk to dads about quite a lot. But just because someone hands you a baby, you don't instantly have that connection and that bond, you know, it can take time. So that's perfectly normal. Um, make sure you make time to talk to each other. Talk about the emotions, the feelings, you know, you, you don't agree on everything in life. Parenting shouldn't be any different, you know, and the fact that we have to challenge each other on how we see things is perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. We don't feel it when we're tired. My number one tip is sort of laundry, housework, forget it. If you've got a newborn, you know, focus on baby, take any help that you can. Um, anything that wants to help with the cooking and sort of spend as much time with the baby. Mm -hmm. For the dads, what I talk about a lot is sort of skin to skin, you know, because that the oxytocin is obviously good for you, it's good for baby, but it helps with the mental health and helps with the bonding and, and the connection. Um, not everybody talks about it a lot, maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea, but for me, I definitely I enjoyed that sort of skin to skin with my sons um, and trying to be as hands-on around the baby to develop that bond and the smells and get baby used to me and um, so that's another tip that I give but the main one is keeping that channel of communication open I think and mm -hmm. um, talking to each other but if you are concerned you know just understand that everybody experiences parenting differently but anybody that tells you that they found it easy is probably lying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and like you said I think it's important to to highlight that that everyone's experience is different and <laughs> you cannot compare like some people nice. their their baby never stops crying some people their baby doesn't eat everyone's experience is different and it's just focusing on on your child at that time and and doing the best you can like you said and um it, it does take time it does you're right it does it definitely takes time yeah well so thanks thank you very much no thank you it's been a blast i enjoyed yeah. it yeah no i appreciated it well that's the end of the episode thank you again for tuning in and uh, showing your support until next week <laughs>